Amen. Well, we are in a series looking at what Jesus and the rest of the New Testament writers call the enemies of the soul. The enemies of the soul. That Jesus says that when you come to follow him, it's not all plain sailing. There are things that oppose you. In fact, there's a triple threat. Three things that can oppose you in your walk with Jesus. That there's a headwind. There's actually these three things that work together to kind of oppose you. And Jesus says you need to be aware of these things because if you're not aware, you'll, you'll fall into their schemes. The book that we're reading as a companion to this series, a book by our friend John Mark Homer, it's entitled Live No Lies. He has a very helpful little diagram that shows how this triple threat kind of works in the life of the Christian. It's the three enemies of the soul, as Jesus calls them, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And they're kind of different, they're difficult categories to understand, which is why we're teaching them. But fundamentally, they work like this diagram shows that the devil comes along with lies, deceptive ideas. We've looked at that the last couple of weeks. But these are not irrelevant lies because they're said in a way that land on our disordered desires. They're tempting because there's a vulnerability in us to want to believe them. And then finally, we find that actually it's easy to buy into them because we're living in a society that kind of cheers you on in those areas. This kind of triple threat. And this week we're looking at that middle, middle one, the flesh. What is this enemy of the soul called the flesh? Now, I don't know about you, but you know, the flesh is very unexciting for me to talk about because I grew up and the flesh was just kind of like this concept I had in church of like just spoil sports. Someone would like with a big black Bible saying, stop having fun, you know, like Footloose, all that kind of movie stuff, you know, Kevin Bacon, stop it. And it just felt so restrictive. But actually, I think that restrictive sense of the flesh and like thinking that's so outdated, that's so old fashioned. That's part of, I think, the deception because if we don't actually understand what Jesus says about the flesh and what the Bible truly says about the flesh, we, will, we won't realize how much it affects us. And so let's open up the Bible together. We're going to turn to a letter that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 as he describes what this enemy of the soul is called the flesh. So if you have your Bible, please open it or you can follow it on the screen. Beginning in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Paul confirms this enemy of the flesh, enemy of the soul called the flesh. And he uses this word in the Greek to describe this enemy. The word is sarx in Greek, and it has double meaning. In, the, in many sections of the Bible, it just means your physical body. But in this specific context, and throughout Paul's letters, he's referring to the flesh as not a positive thing, but the negative desires of our bodies that actually aren't very good. The desires of our bodies that actually do harm, that actually harm ourselves and harm others. They feel very natural, but if we're honest, they don't bring life, they bring death. Paul actually sums it up in verse 13. He says, these desires of the flesh are anti-love. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying, look, there are desires in your life that are in line with love and joy and you want justice and you want mercy and you're thinking, oh my word, we want society to be healed. We want all the darkness to disappear. We want everyone to feel welcome and loved. We want those things. But if we're honest... There's other desires as well. And he says, those desires don't promote love. Those desires of greed and selfishness, those desires where we want to actually take more things to ourselves, those desires that we try and keep a lid on, but because we know they, they don't promote those things, but let's just be honest, they're there. He says, Look, let me give you some examples, some categories. He says in verse 19, look, if you don't believe me, look, the acts of the flesh are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, which means like using sex to hurt people. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunken orgies, etc., etc. He says, guys... Let's just get real. These things are there. And if we're honest with ourselves, the enemy is not just out there. The enemies of the soul are not just culture or the devil or other people making you to do stuff. If we're honest about ourselves, there's an enemy here too. We have a mixed, we have a mixed bag of desires. See, the Bible is very clear and honest and authentic about the human condition. On the one hand, we're made in the image of God, it says in Genesis 1, and therefore all of humanity has the great capacity for good, the great capacity for love, the great capacity to want peace and justice and righteousness. 
But the Bible also says that's not our only desire because there's this thing called the flesh, which actually at the same time wants the opposite of those things. That right from the very beginning in Genesis 3, we see also that humanity has been warped by a condition of selfishness, of greed, of taking stuff that's not ours, of putting ourselves up as God versus others. That in our lives, we have desires that point in opposite directions. God didn't create us this way, and there's a different sermon to how humanity found itself in this kind of battle between desires, but no matter what and how we look at the origins of that, the reality is we all wake up and look in the mirror and go, yeah, but it's real. It's real. We have competing desires, not only for things that do good and justice in the world, but also actually bring harm in the world that don't do us good, that actually, they may feel good in the short term, but the long-term benefits aren't there. In fact, the long game is the destruction game. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this battle every single day. I mean, just the other day, actually a couple of years ago, it came to, it was really obvious a couple of years ago, I was walking down Wilshire during lunch, just wanted, I was hungry, you know, really feeling that I felt I was starving, hadn't eaten in a couple of hours, and I was walking down Wilshire, and do you know when you walk down Wilshire, you go past like 7th, past, past Reed Park, and you come to Chase, Chase Bank, and then before Bluestone Lane Coffee, there was a store there called Press Juicery, ever heard of Press Juicery? these kind of amazing juices that turn you into an amazing person, right? And I was passing press juicery. I thought, oh, do I get a juice? Do I get a juice? And then I looked around the corner and I saw, oh, sidecar donuts. <laughs> and so I literally stopped my tracks. And I, I, on my right was press juicery. On my left was sidecar donuts. And I knew, I knew that this would be good for me. This would not be good for me. And so... I stood there and I felt this battle in my heart and I kind of went that way and went, oh, no, maybe, mm. and I, I was there for about an hour and a half, just like wondering, <laughs> like this battle of the flesh and the spirit in me, this general desires that we have that go, dude, that feels so good, but I know it won't go well with me. This, this doesn't taste so good right now, but I know there's benefits. And Paul is just saying the obvious, that as it is in the physical, so it is in the spiritual. That we have mixed desires in our heart. That some can bring life, but some can bring death. It's why Paul in Romans 7 is really super honest. You know, he's, he's really blunt with himself and to others. When he tells us about the fight in his own life, and he goes in Romans 7, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I mean, to... That doesn't sound just like Paul, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but that, that's kind of like me. That there seems to be this mixed bag of desires that are very real, and we're caught in this war of desire. 
We're caught in this war that Paul says they pull in different directions. Now, there's nothing wrong with sidecar donuts, but you know as well as I do, these things can actually go great. We're going to do this, and we're going to indulge in this, and I know it's not going to be healthy for me, but there are bigger things at stake than just getting chubby on sidecar donuts. I mean, Paul goes out of his way and said, you need to recognize that your desires inside aren't just going to lead you to have an extra couple of donuts and it won't, you'll feel a bit bloated for a while. No, you can indulge the flesh. That would lead actually to broken relationships. You can indulge these desires that actually feel good in the short term but actually will break down society. You can actually indulge these desires in a way that would lead to anxiety, depression, loneliness, fear. Because you're giving in to these short-term pleasures that wreak long-term havoc. One of my favorite cultural commentators is a guy called Russell Brand. Do you know Russell? And I love watching his stuff. I think he's very insightful. Um, I remember watching one a few years ago on his battle with porn. And I thought he was super honest and super helpful when he's, he just said, look, I'm, I've been addicted. And he went into his story of addiction. But he says, let's not kid ourselves that this is a good thing. Let's not kid ourselves with these desires to watch this porn is actually helping society. He said, and it's quite funny, he said, no one ever kind of watches porn for a couple of hours, puts down the lid of their computer and go, Oh, that was a really good use of my time. <laughs> we know, don't we? Man, I didn't want to do that. And these things can lead to addictions where we even find it harder and harder to say no to these things. And we find it erodes our sense of self. It erodes our sense of relationships. It erodes our sense of community. It erodes our sense of mental health. Jesus says, beware of just indulging the desires of the flesh. Now, the, the, the great challenge is, of course, is this triple threat all works together for you to give it to these things. I mean, you've got the devil going, just do it. Genesis 1, uh, all the way through to 3, the devil's going, ah, it's not that bad, Eve, come on. That's the whole tactic. How many times have I heard in my head, oh, it's not that bad. But equally, we've got a culture who says, actually, the opposite is true, Gare. That actually, it's wrong to deny your flesh. Actually, what your heart wants is a good thing. Actually, this is an old, outdated concept. And actually, oppression and repression is to deny your feelings. Not to sort them out between good and bad. And so we live in the mantra of today, of we all know it. If it feels good, do it. Be true to yourself. The heart wants what it wants. And as Christine reminded us last night, you do you, boo, last week. But we all know, don't we, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's not that simple. Because in our heart, we know there are desires that point in different Directions. And if we do give in to the temptation of just doing what feels right in the moment, 
we will normally choose what the Bible calls as flesh and things that don't lead to love, that don't lead to human flourishing. We find that we end up with a bias towards the thing that slowly eat away at our souls. See, culture says true freedom is giving in to your feelings and not having anybody tell you what to do. But I tell you, as Jesus redefines freedom as true freedom, is having the power to say yes to the desires that you want to follow and no to the ones of destruction. True freedom is having true determination over the choices that you make. And Jesus says, I've come that you might be truly free to follow the way of the Spirit and actually to say no to the things that bring death, that bring darkness. Now, we know this, right? It's interesting that our society is saying, just be you, bro, just do what you want. That all your desires are valid and just go with whatever feels good at the moment. We know that's nonsense. Because we don't play that out whenever we go to the gym. We don't. You don't go to the gym and you get a personal trainer. Personal trainer comes up to you and says, and you go, hey, what, what should I do? Dude, just do what feels right in the moment. <laughs> Brilliant. Really? Yeah, man. You be you. So I've got to say right now, bro, right now, me is chilling out in the jacuzzi for half an hour. Bro, man, the heart wants what it wants. We know that's nonsense, right? We know that actually we have a mixed bag of desires, that my desire to chill out in the jacuzzi for half an hour, it may be my strongest desire, but it's not my deepest desire for health. And we have to start to distinguish between our deepest desires and not always our strongest desires. This is so helpful because... I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up and I walk through my day as a follower of Jesus and I'm, my heart is going in these two different directions and I, I catch myself and go, am I crazy? Is there something wrong with me? Surely if I was a Christian, I wouldn't have this battle. But what Paul is saying is, no, you're normal. You've just engaged with there is a battle. You've woke up to the reality of this is how we face the choices of this world. John Mark Homer in his book, Live No Lies, says this. He says, the wise recognize that pleasure is not the same thing as happiness. Pleasure is about dopamine. Happiness is about serotonin. Pleasure is about the next hit to feel good in the moment. Happiness is about contentment over the long haul. A sense that my life is rich and satisfying as it is in every area of life, from sex to diet to money. Happiness or the good life, here we go. Happiness or the good life is what happens after you discipline your desires. You have to curb some of your wants and cultivate others. Do you know that battle? in your own heart. Culture says it's just give in to it. But we know better. We know 
If I give in to some of these things, it will not go well with me or with others. And you may be here today trapped in the consequences of giving into it. I know I live every day going, uh oh. I know the battle. So, how do we say yes? And how do we have the power to say no? I don't know about you, but I've always thought it was willpower. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, if you're anything like me, I've got to admit, my willpower really, it sucks. It's not enough. It doesn't cut the mustard. It really doesn't. You know, every January the 1st, I discover again, my willpower does not work. As Dallas Willis said, our habits will eat our willpower for breakfast. Now, we need more than willpower. And the good news, the good news is that this is one of the reasons why Jesus came to set us free from the power of constantly giving in to these things. The good news is that Jesus has come to give us a way out, to give us true freedom, the power to say yes, and the power to say no way, bro. And we see it in verse 24. We see Paul says this is how we can live the life without being sabotaged by the flesh. He says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He said the first thing is, those who belong to Christ crucify the flesh. Crucify it. They see its destructive habits. They see its consequences. They know if I give in to this, it may feel good in the moment, but it will not go well. Elsewhere, Paul writes to Timothy, run away from these things. Don't minimize what it does to your soul. Don't minimize it. Now, I know that there are things I can say no to easily because it's like big, bold, brash, category A stuff. I go, dude, come on. And we're going to fall for that. But what the flesh does is one inch at a time. Oh, that's okay. Just half a sidecar donut. I'm not against donuts. But you know what I mean? You see the subtle, it's okay. And before you know it, you go, how on earth did I get here? How on earth did I get here? As I've been preparing this talk this week, God's reminded me again of the things that I do that just one subtle thing at a time have kind of darkened my soul, have fed my selfishness, have fed my greed, have fed my materialism, my consumerism, and turned me away from the things of God. I've been convicted once again of, oh my word, I've just been giving in. I was... I was at, my wife is away right now in England, and my kids are away at this fantastic youth trip, and the dogs are boarding in the kennel because I had to go on the Alpha retreat. So I, I was alone Friday night. So I thought, what do we do? I'm solo Friday night. So I thought, I'll go to the movies. Ever done a solo movie trip? So I bought my ticket, 
make sure no one was next to me, kind of that space where no one was next to me. So I sat down. I thought, this is going to be great. And I was watching this movie. I thought, this is brilliant. It's got great reviews. It's PG-13. That's relevant for a minute. PG-13. I thought, this is going to be fine. And I was watching this movie thinking, this is, I mean, the critics like 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is going to be awesome. And for about 10 minutes into it, I thought, dude, this is pretty dark. This is pretty dark. I thought, that's okay. That's all right. I'll, you know, if the story's really good. And then about 25 minutes into it, I thought, I don't know if this would do me any good whatsoever in my soul. I could start to feel the gnawing of the Holy Spirit going, what are you doing? Is this heading towards the things of God and love and joy and peace? Are you kind of promoting in your life and feeding the things of God? Or are you kind of like justifying sitting here and slowly dying? Now, I, I tell you, at that point, I go, ah, I can do this. You know, I'm mature. I can cope with this. This is like a good script. I'm in L.A. I've got to sit through these movies to learn the cultural context of my mission here in L.A. Um, i got to understand my congregation. Half of them may be in this movie. And, you know, this is a missional learning experience. And I'm justifying it all the time. Then I'm thinking, hang on a minute. I'm, I can handle this. It's like a shine of my weakness if I can't sit through this movie. And then after about an hour, I'm justifying why I should do this. And eventually I wake up to myself and go, what the heck are you doing? Why are you feeding the flesh like this? It's just promoting selfishness. It's just promoting all the values of this movie. It's like, why? And so I thought, you know what? Hmm. I, I'm out. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Then I got to the end of the room and thought, oh, I forgot my wallet. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Wallet, sorry, ever so sorry. Very British. And I'd left. But I went away going, Jesus, I know my vulnerabilities. And I know I need to crucify the flesh if I'm going to end up a person of the fruit of the Spirit of love, of joy, and peace, and patience. I'm going to make sure garbage in, garbage out. I'm not sitting and enduring these things, braving it, thinking I can do this. I was watching another TV show this week. It's done not much for my TV viewing this week, this sermon. And I was watching this incredible miniseries. I got into episode three of this incredible miniseries. People have been saying to me a long time, you should watch this. And it's won awards, and it's absolutely the first few episodes. I'm thinking, it is brilliantly acted. It is brilliantly scripted. And this story is very compelling. But it's not doing me any good. Do I watch things because of those things? Or do I curate what goes into my soul? Knowing that what you feed on is what you become. Crucify the flesh. That's why I'm off social media. I'm not beaten up on social media. I know that my flesh can't handle it. I get drawn into comparison. I get drawn into criticism. I get drawn into kind of fantasizing about what I'm going to post. I get drawn into exaggeration. I get drawn into, it could just be me. 
but I don't want to feed my flesh those things. And you know what? People say to me, Gage, it's a pulpit, it's an online pulpit, you're missing out. I go, you know what? That's fine. And maybe other preachers or pastors or whatever you call me can handle that. I know I can't. And I'm going to watch the flesh. And you'll just have to follow some other pastor to get your fix on Instagram. Seriously. Because I'm in tune with my soul. And I know the temptations of the flesh. And I know that Jesus says, and Paul says, and everyone says, do not underestimate it. I got a great friend in Sydney who's a pastor of a church. And I was talking to him recently about stuff, and, and <laughs> he said this to me. He said, um, man, I've battled all things a lot of the time in my life. And he's not a prude. He is a man's man, whatever that means. But uh, I don't know what that means anymore. But I, in a good way, in a good way, because I hate the stereotypical things of men, like the marble man. That's, that's not good. But, you know, he is like literally a great guy. And he said to me, I, I know my flesh. I know the enemy. And so he said to me, it's actually on WhatsApp, he said to me this, he said, I told my church on Sunday how 10 years ago I stopped watching even movies with nudity or sex scenes because the only image of a naked woman I want in my mind is my wife. He said, it's helped me so much to becoming a total prude. <laughs> but it's done wonders for his marriage. Beware of the flesh. But that's only one, crucify. Crucify. But that's not just it, because Paul then says, but that's just not the only way that we win this battle, because actually willpower and crucifying is not the only thing we need to do, and actually you'll fail if it's just willpower to crucify. He says you need to keep in step with the Spirit, because when you become a Christian, willpower is replaced or actually accompanied by the Spirit of Christ. And when you become a Christian, Jesus comes into your life through his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit says, look, I love you. You keep on falling for these things, and that's okay. That's why I've come to help you. But come with me. Keep in step with me. Follow me. Be in tune with me, and you'll discover of life that doesn't give in to these things, but will feed the Spirit, and you will be the person that you've always longed to be of love and mercy and joy and goodness. But you need to keep in step with me. I didn't know what that meant for years. And I just thought, okay, Holy Spirit, do it there. Do it now. Do it now. Like I just wanted to download all these new desires and these new character attributes and just get rid of the other stuff. But I'm misreading what Paul is writing. It's not crucify the Spirit and just receive the life of God. It's keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, choose with your willpower to orient yourself into the things of God and then when you start to orient to the things of God, you will find that the Holy Spirit takes over. And all of a sudden, you, you do the small decisions. I'm going to walk out of that movie. I'm not spending my time here. You know what? I'm not going to keep on spending money on my fifth pair of sneakers when I only need one or whatever it may be. 
I'm going to use my time, talents, and treasures. I'm not going to keep using them for these things to indulge the flesh. I'm actually going to, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve the poor at the Salvation Army on Thursday nights. I'm going to do that. And when you make those decisions, Paul said, when you keep in step with the Spirit, you will find the Spirit takes over and supercharges your life. And you start to feel the life of the Spirit surging through you. Keep in step with the Spirit. This was brought home to me recently. I went to New York with my daughter to look at a college there. We had an afternoon off. We went to Central Park. and We rented some bikes. And we thought, you know, forget this like pedal bike. Let's go for those electric bikes. And so we got the electric bikes. I sat on. And I was waiting for the button, you know, on, go. And my daughter went, no, 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 dad, 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 these electric bikes, you've got to pedal. What? This is electric. He went, no, you've got to pedal because once you start pedaling, that's when the electricity kicks in. I went, really? i got to do something? He went, yes. So there I am in Central Park and I do this. I started and then the power took over. So it is with the Holy Spirit. You make the decisions. He won't make them for you. He's not a nanny. He's your father. He says, I will back up your good decisions with my power. I will back up your good decisions to walk out of something and actually engage in mission in our city. I'll back up your good decisions to turn off something and spend time with me. I'll back up your good decisions not to do that habit, but actually to get around a community and go, help me walk out of this. You know what? When you make the decision, I will meet you in that decision. For it is freedom that I've come. Not the freedom for you to do whatever you want. The freedom for you to say no and to choose life. This is the freedom that Christ brings. As we join him in it, this is the freedom that leads to the life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Let's stand together.